Hi, friends. You're tuned in to Legal Means Business, a podcast by Leeway. We are joined by some amazing guests who help us identify how to take your legal function and career to the next level. I'm your host, Steph Smith, and we're talking all things legal ops and legal tech, as well as other critical skills needed to help you thrive in the evolving in-house arena. Don't forget, you can watch us on YouTube or listen on the go through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the conversation, please do hit subscribe and let us know what you think on social. But regardless of background, I think that um, GCs in general, um, or a strong in-house counsel in general, should really index on being business savvy and being strategic, being a partner, understanding um, your business, being able to be creative in how you solve problems, and showing that you have kind of that resilience and grit when I hire for my team. It's not necessarily anyone with a resume that's done 30 years and fill in the blank. We're too small and we move too quickly for that to be relevant. I'm looking for Mm -hmm. people who can figure it out. It's not what you know, it's if you know how to figure it out. General counsel isn't the role it was 10 years ago. In fact, GCs now have the potential to add huge value to a business. And yet, they still tend to be an underutilised executive. So how can GCs take a step up? And what skills are becoming increasingly important for in-house lawyers and GCs? This is what we're exploring in this episode with Megan Lutz. Megan is the general counsel and the chief HR officer at fast-paced startup Glowforge. Having worked both in law firms and in-house, and now taking on even broader, not traditionally legal responsibilities, Megan is well-placed to help us explore the skill stack you need to fulfill your potential as a modern GC. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hi Megan, how are you doing? Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Doing well, thank you for having me. Oh, not at all. I'm excited to to speak to you because I know um, when we spoke last, we had a, a bit of a discussion around, you know, the evolving role of the GC and I mean, business in itself is changing quite a lot. So I'm excited to hear um, what you have to say about legal and business as well. So it's exciting. (laughs) Good topic. Exactly. So I suppose to start with, it'd be great if we could explore, um, I mean, it is the the Legal Means Business podcast after all. So explore the the role of legal um, in business. What what do you think is legal's role um, within business? Well, I think legal's role in business, um, I think legal belongs in all aspects of business. Um, I often think that it is a mistake when companies think legal should be in a very narrow, um, small role. The truth is, if your general counsel or your legal team are doing their jobs well, they should be seeing everything across the company cross-functionally. So they're looking at your marketing agreements, they're negotiating your ad spend or your influencer agreements, they're understanding your data privacy and where your data lives, they're working with your engineers on how they're storing information, they're creating contract templates, they're doing employment law and dealing with where your employees are working and if you're remote and how your um, employees are taking leave. So they're really in every aspect of a business. They already have a 
kind of universal view of your business. And so I think legal's role is a strategic business partner. Um, they should be at the table with other executives, helping guide the business proactively and strategically uh, to make sure that you're accomplishing the business goals in the best way possible. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes complete sense. I I, I heard somebody say that, um, you know, legal is almost like the point of entry and the point of exit into the business. And, and you tend to to see everything that's going on almost, which is quite unique, I guess, for a team. Because, um, I mean, I suppose in-house legal gets to touch almost all of the teams, I would say, across the business, which is quite unique um, yeah, for a business team. Five, you know, legal sees all. And yeah. they don't have a specific... Um, necessarily angle right you know the sales team has a purview go make the sale mm -hmm. make the revenue you know different groups have their own purviews and legal tends to be more of an overarching view on what's happening in the business and they can help connect the dots yeah exactly and how do you think this role has changed over time I think savvy CEOs and executive teams are recognizing that. So I've watched the role of legal or the role of a general counsel expanding over time. It, it used to be, you know, you would bring in a lawyer and have them negotiate your contracts occasionally, and that's what you would call a general counsel. Um, now I don't know many general counsels who would be satisfied with that as a role. Um, mm -hmm. Now general counsel should be at the table. They should be in your board meetings. They should be in all of the executive meetings as an executive. They should um, be you know, consulted and, and a partner whenever you're planning to do anything, whether that's expanding internationally, whether that's changing the way you're handling your equity, whether that's um, engaging a major vendor. They should be part of the financial conversations. And then they also should be participating in those things. I'm also seeing at smaller tech startups or not even tech, smaller companies um, where GCs have more orgs under them uh, versus mm -hmm. just legal because they tend to be a bit of an underutilized executive. And has that been your experience um, in your career or have you perhaps experienced both the more traditional approach and now the, the more current approach? I've, I've experienced both. I've worked at in-house companies all over the board. So I started in an international Fortune 500 public company uh, that had offices all over the world. And then I also worked for kind of a national financial uh, consulting company and then um, went to tech startup life and I'm on my second tech startup, kind of experiencing hyper growth, experiencing fundraising, all of that. In my current role, I started uh, to build the legal team. And I did that. And then shortly after that, I absorbed the people ops team and the recruiting team and the facilities mm -hmm. team. And so kind of took on a dual CHRO hat um, and then also uh, took over the customer support team. And more and more GCs I know or CLOs I know are also doing similar things. Um, you know, when you're a smaller company, you don't necessarily have the luxury or the budget to have 30 executives. Um, so if you have a highly paid executive who's capable and can manage large teams and is strategic, um, I think people are starting to look to their GCs or CLOs to see what mm -hmm. makes sense within their uh, skill sets to also manage. And then, of course, you have your legal considerations. You have to think through whether that be privilege or what have you. But, um, but I am seeing more and more CLOs or GCs stepping into a broader executive role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And you touched on depending on skill sets and the likes there. What, what kind of skills are becoming increasingly important or how can people fill the boots of this kind of new new era of, of GCs? I think it depends. I, for example, you know, I took over the people team, but that's because I have an employment background. And so I did mm -hmm. employment law for 
almost 15 years and worked very closely with various HR teams and or directed parts of HR advice work uh, for many years. And so it was natural and um, substantively made sense for me to be able to absorb that team. Um, it may not necessarily for a different a GC who may not have any background in that. But regardless of background, I think that um, GCs in general, um, or a strong in-house counsel in general, should really index on being business savvy and being strategic, being a partner, understanding um, your business, being able to be creative in how you solve problems and showing that you have kind of that resilience and grit when I hire for my team. It's not necessarily anyone with a resume that's done 30 years and fill in the blank. We're too small and we move too quickly for that to be relevant. I'm looking for mm -hmm. people who can figure it out. It's not what you know, it's if you know how to figure it out, um, where you can throw anything their way and they can think through it, be strategic, apply mm -hmm. business sense and logic and quickly and efficiently figure out a solution uh, that works within your business model. And I think that that's what a strong GC should be able to do as well as a strong in-house legal team. Over and above the law, there are a number of foundational skills that in-house lawyers should work on to fulfill their potential. One, be business savvy. Understand your company's mission and objectives and view tasks through this lens. Two, be strategic. Tackle legal challenges holistically, optimizing your actions and decisions for the greatest business impact. Three, be a partner. Ensure you're accessible and collaborate well with teams across the entire business. Four, be creative in your problem solving. Think outside the box and connect the dots for the business. Don't limit yourself solely to your legal knowledge. If you apply business sense and logic as an in-house lawyer, you're far more likely to effectively find solutions that offer the greatest business value. And I suppose that sort of, well, those sort of skills and, and that sort of approach and attitude and mindset isn't necessarily the, the type of things that you're taught in law school, I suppose. So how can... How could an in-house lawyer or someone someone working in the in the world of in-house legal adopt this approach, or how can they practice it, or how can they embrace that so that they can really fill the boots of of the net, this this new evolution? It's interesting. I was just on a panel um, for my law school uh, yesterday, last night, and um, we're, we were talking to law students who were interested in going in-house or interested in tech. You know, it is true. A lot of what you learn in law school is not directly translatable, not only to in-house, but in general, I think, to practicing. Um, mm. You know, you get out and you think, oh, I'm a lawyer because I can look up a case or because I can cite correctly. And you know, there's some basic skills there you need, possibly, um, but really it's how you apply it to real life that is key. And so I told the law students, probably the most important thing to do in law school is one, the real life experiences, whether that's internships, jobs, externships, um, getting out into the real world and understanding how, how the law applies to real life scenarios. And then also spending your time creating networks and creating um, relationships you know, finding mentors. It takes years to develop those relationships into something meaningful, um, mm. many years in order for them to become a sponsor versus a mentor. And those are the people that will help you think through uh, your career path. Those are the people that'll help you apply logic to your um, business advice. And, you know, a good lawyer, whether you're law firm or in-house, um, but 
but particularly in-house, you know, I say knowing the law is the bare minimum. You have to know the law. You can't run around and tell people to do things that are illegal or not understand what the law says. That's just the baseline. You have to know that to do your job. But then it's everything above that that makes you a good lawyer. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I often give an example where a manager might come to you in legal and say, I need you to tell me if my team should be exempt or non-exempt, meaning, you know, do you have to pay them an hourly overtime um, or, you know, can can they be a salaried exempt status? Well, it's a legal question. Um, and a law firm or maybe even a law school answer would be, well, let me look at the federal law. Let me look at the state law. Let me understand what, what they make salary wise, what their job duties are. And let me go through the legal analysis and explain to you which they are. And so you'd look through it and maybe you say, okay, well, actually, manager, all of your people should be non-exempt. Um, and you think you've done a good job as a lawyer. And your answer is not incorrect. Your answer may be legally correct. Um, you know, the next step up from that might be educating the manager. What does it mean to have a non-exempt employee? What are the differences in managing a non-exempt employee, whether that's meal and rest breaks or whether that's overtime and how that works? But those are all wrong answers in my eyes in terms of in-house. The correct answer is, why are you asking? Like, what mm. problem are you trying to solve? And if the manager says, we have our most important client who's requiring 24-7 coverage to answer their questions, and our budget does not allow for us to pay these people 24-7, including overtime, and I don't know what to do. Well, that's a different question. And a strong lawyer would get to the heart of it, and then they'd think it through with the manager. What if we tiered your team out? What if we created two or three supervisors who all had five or six direct reports? We made sure their salary met the appropriate thresholds, and we you know, customized their role so that you have three exempt employees who can answer the evening and overtime hour questions, and the rest of your team shifts to non-exempt hourly. Um, now you've solved the business problem, And Mm -hmm. you've done it in a way that has mitigated risk and brought you into compliance. But you weren't just a kind of tunnel vision, what does the law give them a yes or no answer? You you were a partner. And that's going to make the business want to come to you and partner in solutions and figuring it out. If you'd gone with the first route, you would have been correct legally. But what would have happened is that when we lost our largest customer (laughs) because they were (laughs) angry we didn't have coverage, someone's going to turn around and say, well, legal said we had to. Um, Mm. And the truth is, didn't have to. There was a solution. And so I think it's just important to develop the skill of A, understanding context and knowing why, as well as applying a problem-solving, solution-based type of way that you apply the law versus a linear um, black and white, yes or no way of of looking at the law. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I think as you said, obviously, it's it's an executive, you know, strategic business partner role. And it is a, it's a different mindset, isn't it? It's rather than just looking at your particular legal slice of the pie, you're, you're taking into account the entire picture, I suppose. Um, and is that is that something you need to, to work on? Say, if you're joining a new company, you need to obviously get to understand the context of the business and, and the priorities and the likes. What what does that look like? Yeah, I think that's always, um, if you're in-house, it's crucial. If you're a law firm lawyer, I still think it's important. You just don't have as much of a luxury to understand each mm. of your clients' businesses the same way. Um, but if you're in-house, the first thing I tell my people to do when they join is you should create 
meetings now in the world of COVID, whether it's a virtual coffee meeting or if it's physical coffee meeting, and you should meet stakeholders throughout the company and sit down with them and ask them, what do they do? What are their pain points? What is their day-to-day -day like? Because you can't be good at negotiating a contract or um, giving advice if you don't understand how it impacts your client. And you know you can't just change a payment term and say, well, 30 days is fine. If you don't understand from finance how you run your, your payment structures or how you do your account receivables at the end of the month, you can't say, no problem, we'll agree to this operational requirement. If you don't know if we're capable of doing that, what our shipping times are or what that does to our customer support team, you have to understand the business in order to give advice and, and more importantly, to give alternative solutions or um, problem solve with the business. And also those relationships are important um, you're working together and you know there's going to be times that your advice may not be welcomed it may not be mm -hmm. the advice they wanted to hear and if you have those relationships it's a far easier to have those conversations and to develop mm -hmm. a reputation amongst your business of being reasonable and um, rational and strategic and a partner working in the same direction um, instead of people seeing legal as the place that dreams go to die and that it's yeah. you know the place of no um, I think that's crucially important. And then on top of that, you know, your business is going to teach you things. There's plenty you would never know, no matter how savvy you are when you join a company, you wouldn't know about, I didn't know about lasers. I learned all about lasers when I joined the company and I embedded myself in the business to understand how we worked and how we functioned because part of your job is looking around corners and helping mm. the business um, see what might be coming or, or predict um, issues that might come down the road that you can maybe help prevent or to issue yeah. spot. Others are not lawyers. They may not have thought through, do we need the certification or have we thought through this data issue or are we going into Europe, make sure we get this in place, which clears the way to a much smoother business process. And you can't do that if you don't know what's important to the business or where it's going. And then you can't speak their language either. Um, and part of that is speaking their language. Um, legal in-house is a cost center, not a revenue generator. And so making sure that you are aligning the things you are doing with the business goals and priorities is mm -hmm. crucial for legal to be seen as an asset and a strategic partner. Um, because in order to be one, you have to know, know what the business's strategies are. Yeah, totally. And how can you align those priorities? Well, our team has OKRs or ROCs, depending on the terminology everyone likes to use, or some people call them <laughs> KPIs, but the business does too. And we always mm -hmm. tie ours to the businesses. Um, and I think that's important because you don't want to be running left and really focusing on something you think is important when the business is trying to focus on the other side. Um, and so everything you do should be in facilitation of those goals. Um, mm -hmm. So if the business's goal is to increase revenue by doing X, then you time your contracts and the prioritization and the SLAs for different types of them based on that priority. If your business mm -hmm. is trying to expand internationally, then you think through what it is as legal that you could do to, to support that, whether that's a data privacy initiative, an employment law initiative, standing up EORs, looking through your insurance, or, or negotiating partnerships or contracts or leases or what have you. Um, and you stand up your OKRs for that quarter to support that business initiative running smoothly. Um, so your mm -hmm. success is always aligned with the business success. Um, and what you're doing is driving forward crucial initiatives for the business. OKRs, or Objectives and Key Results, are a goal-setting tool that can help you and your team set and track measurable goals. This framework pairs the objectives that you want to achieve with the key results you'll use to measure progress, so that your goals are tied to your day-to-day -day work. To use OKRs, you first have to write your objective. 
this should be the big ambitious destination that you're heading towards. Then you need to develop your key results. This is how you'll measure progress along the way. And lastly, be sure to track the results. Keep OKRs front of mind and track results consistently. If you haven't already, be sure to tune into our podcast episode with Francis Coyle, where we explore an introduction to OKRs for in-house legal. And it must be, you must feel like almost more for fulfillment perhaps because you can directly see the impact that your legal yeah. work is having on the business, which is often lost in the weeds, I think, for the legal team. It is. And I think that um, if you were the executive in charge of your team, part of that is always being able to show your team's value add. And so being able to measure that is important. Um, so I'm always, our OKRs are always measurable um, so mm-hmm. that we can actively say, here's how many millions we've saved the company in negotiation, um, you know, by reducing certain contract spend, or here's the SLAs that we have hit 100% of the time this quarter for contracts, or here's um, the lease negotiations that we did and how we have directly facilitated X, um, or here's how we contributed to the rollout of whatever strategic piece that we've done. You know, we rolled out a partnership with Exploding Kittens this year, and we did um, a project with NFTs. And I had my team in there doing webinars, learning what an NFT was. Um, yeah. So that when we did that first, as soon as we knew this was rolling out so that my team could speak intelligently to it, so that we can understand what legal implications there may be and advise before we went to roll out, we didn't want to get to the 11th hour and say, oh, did we think about this? Um, we wanted to be upfront and helping roll this out. And we helped promote kind of pushing this initiative out and project managing mm-hmm. it because um, our team was up and savvy about what that was. Um, I think it's really important. And part of that is having your legal executive in the room when it's important. Mm. Um, They should be there at all. I mean, they are an executive. They should be in every meeting and you should be consulting early. It shouldn't be, oh, by the way, we rolled out a major initiative. It's launching tomorrow. It should be a month ahead of time. Hey, I'm thinking about this. So that you are a strategic partner together to say, awesome. Okay, let me think about this too. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can be right there making sure you're ready to launch and it goes smoothly. Yeah, amazing. It sounds like there's, as, as you, you've touched on, like a lot of problem solving, but a lot of creativity as well, perhaps. Is that fair to no, say? I think that's part of the fun part. I think that's part yeah. of the fun part of being in-house. And, you know, at a law firm, if they say a client wants to do X, look at this contract, they're not going to be happy if they get a bill for 100 hours of brainstorming around, you know, what the <laughs> promo app would look like or if we should launch in a different country first or fill in the blank. Um, Whereas in-house, that's part of your job, I think, is to be that partner um, and Mm -hmm. think about things. And it's also your job to cross-functionally connect the dots. You know, another Mm -hmm. example I give people is, you know, if someone comes to you and says, can I waive a meal break? Or can my people on my team waive a meal break? You know, the the legal answer is, let me check the state law. Let me check the federal law. Sure, you can. No problem. And if you're super proactive, maybe you say, let me draft you a waiver for them to sign and put it in the file whenever they sign it. That's the wrong answer. The right answer, if you're a strategic partner as well, what team are they on? Do they do shift work? What are the coverage requirements? If you're letting them wave a meal break, are they leaving a half hour early? Are they hourly non-exempt? If they are and they're leaving a half hour early, does that create coverage problems? If they're not, did we account for in finance overtime every day by a half an hour? Who's the decision maker? Is this org specific? Which orgs need to decide and are all of them, do we have a company-wide policy or is this an org-specific policy? Do we already have a policy? What's our precedent? What have we told people in the past? What's our culture? And is that important to people that we take lunch breaks? Um, Mm -hmm. 
And, and do we have people in other states? Do we have people who, you know, are non-exempt that this would really impact what they're doing? And then talk it through. Who needs to be at the table to make this decision? And had you just answered the first and we had a major shift coverage issue or finance came at the end of the quarter and said, oh, my gosh, how are we over budget by X amount of overtime? Yeah. And someone would point to legal and say, we ran it by legal and they said it was fine. And that's the narrow purview of thinking of you could do it both ways. The business making the mistake of seeing legal in a tiny narrow box where they only can tell you what the law says or legal thinking of themselves in that box Mm -hmm. and only giving advice in that realm. Um, And then you miss a lot of really major important considerations. Yeah, it's it's the opposite of tunnel vision for legal, I would say. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and do you think... Um, so thinking about the, the modern GC role that you've described, do you think it, it has to be a, um, a, an even playing field that the business is appreciating that this is the new role of the GC and also the GC, of course, or anyone? A hundred percent. I think it's um, it's often driving from the CEO or the board, mm-hmm. their respect, appreciation and value for the legal function. And then it's also GC's Um, expecting and demanding to be part of that. So when they're interviewing for a role, they're making sure that they're asking the right questions. Who am I reporting to? What are the expectations of the job? What projects would I be brought in on? You know, I assume I'd be part of the board meetings and the executive team meetings and the the financing meetings and the, you know, budget setting. Um, But Mm -hmm. it's important questions to ask. Um, You know, I always said, I think there are three types of ways company treat legal. One is that legal is a necessary evil. Um, certain companies will view legal as, well, we're big enough or we're doing enough. We're required to have a lawyer in-house. And um, from a pure budget standpoint, when we're paying outside counsel and they bring them in, but it's a constant battle. It's an uphill battle. Every time legal has advice or wants to do something, the business treats it as an obstacle or a challenge. It's, oh, we yeah. have to go to legal. And that tone permeates the company. It makes legal's job a lot harder. It feels combative. And also you're spending a lot of your time convincing people to listen to you instead of partnering together to solve problems. So that's the first bucket, legal is a necessary evil. The second Mm -hmm. bucket is legal is operational. Um, And there's a lot of good companies that treat their legal teams very well, very respectfully, pay them well, but they have very specific things their legal team is supposed to do. They're supposed to negotiate contracts. They're supposed to maybe handle mergers and acquisitions. They handle litigation when it comes in. And when those things pop up, you send it to legal. Legal has complete authority to handle it. And then legal hands it back when it's done. And that's um, kind of the narrow legal purview of where legal is supposed to be in the business. And for some people, that's fine. And for some companies, that works well. And then the third um, bucket is that legal is a strategic business partner. And I'm seeing more and more of those. And that is where legal is in everything you do. And the CEO and the rest of the C-suite are consulting with you, whether that's we're thinking we want to terminate someone, whether that's we're doing some org shifts, what do you think? Whether that's we're expanding internationally, whether that's we're launching Mm -hmm. NFTs. And that you're talking to your legal partner in the very beginning saying, hey, what do you think? Because you respect and value them, not just as what does the law say, but as a business savvy executive who has a broad overview of what the company's doing and perhaps views things through a different lens. And that's the only kind of company I would want to be at um, because I find that the most fulfilling. Um, And also, I think that's how the business gets the most from their legal team. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I mean, you have these talented people at your fingertips and you're perhaps not, you know, you're not capitalizing on on the talent and the skills that are under your own roof, I guess, if the business isn't getting legal involved and early enough. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, part of that is your job is, uh, is legal to show that you're a partner, right? If every time someone comes, you say, nope, 
nope, that's not what we're doing. Um, nobody's going to want to come and partner with you. Um, mm-hmm. But also you are more of the clinical side of maybe the backbone of the company, right? You're, you don't have an agenda per se. Your job is to protect the company, but also to help make the company successful in the, the most risk mitigated way you can. And so, you know, part of that, I think being in-house is being able to be okay with ambiguity. Um, and I find that people transitioning from law firm life in the beginning um, feel very uncomfortable at first. You know, they're used to saying, well, the best practice is X or mm. the very perfect thing to do would be Y. And then the businesses, but that's not possible. We have a four person engineering team or we have a budget of X and that would cost five times that. Um, and so an in-house attorney's job is to say, well, here's legally the job or what the law says to do. Here are the risks. Here are the consequences, the pros and cons. Here are the possibilities. Here are the options. Um, And help your business weigh risk and the ROI and and how you mitigate it. But sometimes that means you get to 80% well done and you move on. Sometimes that means you say, well, the best practice would be X and one below that is Y. Let's do Y. And sometimes that's not always um, comfortable for people who are used to the pristine memo at a law firm and then they send it off and say, well, there you go. And then they mm-hmm. pat themselves on the back and move on. Um, it's, it's marrying that with reality and how your business needs to operate. By now, we know that the role of legal in business has changed over the years. But today, businesses still tend to treat legal in one of three ways. Understanding these positions will help you find the right role for your next move or help you appreciate your current situation and how to thrive in that context. Firstly, some businesses view legal as a necessary evil. In this context, resilience is absolutely key as you might find yourself pushing water uphill when it comes to fulfilling your potential as an in-house lawyer. In this context, you might need to be extra proactive and gradually shift the business's opinion by evidencing the value add of the legal function. The next type of business views legal operationally. While there may be less friction in this context, it's quite a narrow legal purview, where legal undertakes purely operational tasks, such as contract management. Here, you'll need to focus on efficiency, and it's likely that you'll find lots of activities could be streamlined and automated, thanks to the advancements in legal ops and legal tech. Lastly, the dream business. This is a company that appreciates legal as a strategic business partner. Here, it's an absolute must to automate the high volume, low value tasks such as contract management, so that you can spend more time weighing up the pros and cons of any topic and offering a number of solutions to achieve the business goal. And you you make a great point actually about you know having to be comfortable with ambiguity and and risk. Are there any skills that you would say are either undervalued or even overvalued um, that we might might need to reassess in the days of the modern um, in house legal team? I just think flexibility is so important. You know, um, if you have someone that comes onto your team and they come to you and you give them an issue to look at, we're we're launching in this space and the team wants to do X. Tell me your thoughts. And they come back to you and say, well, I've done the research. Here's my long memo. And we can't, we can't launch there. Well, to me, that's a sign of of very stuck thinking. Of course we can Mm -hmm. launch there. Uh, Literally, physically, we can. 
talk to me about your concerns, talk to Mm -hmm. me about, you know, what it would take to resolve them. Talk to me about the engineering time or the money or the cost of, of mitigating this risk. And if we did launch there, what are you concerned will happen? And let's make sure that our business is aware and that we are, you know, communicating what we need to and that the right people are in the room making decisions. But what is your solution? What are you recommending? Um, Because the answer we can't is not a helpful answer. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you keep pushing back and they just keep coming back to, well, here's what we have to do. That fixed thinking to me tells me that they're not ready or wouldn't enjoy doing what you need to do to be an in-house lawyer. And that doesn't mean mm-hmm. bending rules or breaking the law, to, to be clear. It means being strategic and and figuring out how do you help the business get to that place of yes. And I think that that is the skill I'm always looking for. I truly believe, because I have a team of superstars, I could hand any one of them literally anything that they may have never seen before in their life and say, this is huge, this is a big deal, the business wants to do this, help me figure it out by tomorrow. And I have complete confidence that they will have researched it, that we will understand the law, and that they will have several viable options um, of how we can move forward by the next day. Um, Mm -hmm. They don't come to me anymore and ever say, but I've never done this before, because my response is usually me either. So what's your plan? Um, (laughs) Because it's all figureoutable. I have a sign Mm -hmm. on my wall. I don't think you can see it from here, but it says everything is figureoutable, because it is. Uh, You're smart and you're savvy, so we can figure it out. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. Especially you can tap into resources across the business as well. Mm -hmm. So you've got all, not only is the legal team super talented, but you've got all these super specialized and talented people across the business that you can engage with, learn from, teach. Yeah. So it's a pretty, pretty cool network within the business as well. We're also a network outside the business. If you've done your networking, both in law school or otherwise, you should have a team of attorneys who are friends or colleagues or at other startups or other companies that you can ping and say, hey, have you experienced this? What have you done? Do you have a template? Do you have something that you've utilized? Um, or you can reach out to communities you're part of, whether that's you know TechGC or ACC, and mm-hmm. send out a message. And people are usually really willing to help you um, because it's not the first time some legal team has seen this issue. Um, mm. It's not unique. And so someone will be able to give you some advice. Yeah. Definitely. Amazing. And just to, to tie it all together and, and to, to finish up, I suppose. So GCs are underutilized executives. What would be your top tips to help them take that step up and, and fill these boots? I think it's, um, well, A, it's understanding yourself and if you want to. And so I know some GCs who have become COOs or mm-hmm. um, other types of executives understand yourself and what it is you really want to do. And if you want to expand, whether that is simply, and it's not simple, but whether that's expand within legal um, and be at the table at more things, or whether that's expand by overseeing other orgs or broadening what comes under the legal umbrella, I think that's having a conversation with your CEO um, or with the board or whomever it is that would give you the purview and expressing your interests. Because a lot of times I think it just hasn't occurred to people that legal can do all of these things. You know, you can come to them and say, hey, I actually have a lot of experience doing international expansion and I'm interested in it. And here are the ways legal can help. There's a lot of international employment laws that you have to look at. There's international tax laws. There's international contracts and clauses that you need to put in. There's um, data privacy concerns. There's um, vendors and things we should sign on. We can vet EORs um, or PEOs. And I have experience doing all of that. I would love to, you know, take a front and center place and take this off the plate of fill in the blank, what other team is helping run this to run point on this. Um, Mm -hmm. And if 
if you um, have the rest of your legal things running smoothly, it would seem silly for a CEO not to think about that and say, well, that makes sense. Please take that on. And as they start thinking of you in a more expanded way, they're going to start coming to you with far more things. And as you do them well, legal will just start having a much broader purview, whether that's being in charge of negotiating your insurance renewals or whether that's international expansion or whether that's, you know, managing your equity and your cap table or whether that's, um, you know, doing your board consent paperwork or whether that's, you know, handling your safety tickets or customer um, complaints. Um, There's lots of places in every single org that legal could add major value. Spot them and talk to someone about whether or not that makes sense for your organization. And a lot of people would be happy to give legal more. Um, Often legal executives are highly paid executives with usually much smaller teams than other executives have. Um, So showing where you can add value, I think, is important. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, And just one one final question as a follow on to that. Sorry. Um, Obviously, it's thinking about and embracing all this kind of almost maybe additional work would you say that that leads to benefits though in terms of perhaps streamlining processes or or the likes in terms of managing this um wider scope yeah i think it's a few things i think there are advantages certainly depending on what it is that enthuses you i love being um, a strategic partner in lots of aspects of the business. And so I'm enjoying learning new things, um, figuring out how different parts of the business work, helping streamline and optimize Um, Mm cross-functionally across them. um, I enjoy managing. So having large teams uh, is is something that I like doing. There are benefits. I do think, though, it's important that if you are in a company that sees legal as a strategic partner and is giving them things that may not be necessarily um, traditionally owned by legal, they should also yeah. be making sure they're giving legal resources and um, you know, support in the same way they give other orgs. So you may have a slightly larger legal team if they're overseeing 17 things versus eight things. Um, you may also need multiple senior people under you that are strong leaders. So if I have, um, I have customer support facilities, HR, recruiting, um, and legal, I need strong people in each of those verticals who can help me with the day-to-day um, mm-hmm. so that I can on the strategy across all of those orgs. If I had to run the day-to-day of each, it wouldn't be possible and things would start mm-hmm. to fall down. And so I need strong team members who can do that for me. And, so, and part of that's mm-hmm. on you hiring the right people and communicating what you need. And then part of that's on your CEO or finance team, whoever approves your resources um, to partner with you and say, yes, legal's mm-hmm. a partner. Yes, we want them to have an expanded role. Therefore, legal may need more support or resources than a traditional legal team may. Yep, yeah. Brilliant. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, I don't know if you have any final remarks on anything around the the evolving role of the GC, the the, the modern day legal team, Um, but we've obviously covered quite a lot there. So thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. I I love this topic and I think it's great that companies are starting to see legal as that strategic business partner. Um, I think it's to the benefit of both the legal Mm -hmm. community as well as companies in general. Yeah, definitely. And it's so it's such a delight, actually, because we see more and more either being shared on, on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter and the likes that other teams are commenting on their relationship with legal and how well that it's going and the impact that it's having. So it's nice to see it acknowledged out with the legal world as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so well, much. Thank you so much for your time. It was a real pleasure speaking to you and I really appreciate all the all the insights that you've shared. Of course. <laughs>